Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mundus. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, May 21st, 2012, welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 17-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. 17 years, huh? That's right, baby. You always got to beat me on something. Got to one-up you on that one. It's not okay. It's not okay. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is all about our good friends at First Descent. Joining us, the man, the myth, the legend, Brad Ludden, otherwise known as Daryl. That's his FD nickname, of course. Young adult cancer advocate. He is the founder and CEO of First Descent. And Lisa, quote-unquote, stepmom, Goodman Goldstein, she is Director of Development at First Ascent, and kicking it off in the Survivor Spotlight, our good friend, you know her, you love her, Allison Lolly Ward, young adult survivor, ovarian cancer, and she was the chairwoman of our OMG Cancer Summit Steering Committee, Matthew. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, also known as the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, online at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society, but we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard. Another fun and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And Matthew and I would like to extend a very stupid cancer welcome to any of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. You can download us. It's automatic. It's free. As we broadcast live every Monday night, 8 p.m., from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And a final reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room. During each and every broadcast, we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And with that, happy Monday. Here we are. Applause, applause. Happy Monday. Something like being able to cue up your own applause. We own the show. Keeps me going every yeah. Monday. 
all I look forward to. I'd like to actually like to take that recording home with me, just periodically <laughs> just push it. Exactly. Yeah. Kenny, hello. What's going on? How you doing? I'm well. You look tired. Tired. I'm drinking coffee. He feels good, but I feel incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing a brand new pair of running shoes. That's not where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> and my brand new lucky underwear. Uh oh. Oh boy. Uh oh. Anyway, hello, Matt Packett. You got to talk into the mic, my Matt friend. Matt says hello, off mic. Pull the mic right up. There Step you go. right up, my. Hey, how are you? How you doing? Great. <laughs> I'm just doing that. It's a steep learning curve. Keep the mic in front of your mouth. It's like you say, hey, I say, ho. Just exactly. pull it over Pull it over by the base. There, there you go. There we go. Yes. Somebody give Matt a cookie. I'm doing great. <laughs> give Matt, Matt a kashi bar. <laughs> Matt's our new intern. The Matt other is, Matt. The other Matt. Yes. Yeah, Although yeah. I, I call him Matt 1 and I call you Matt 2. Matt 2? Yeah. Oh, why? Just why am I 2? Because you're not as cool as Matt 1. Yeah, I, I, all right, fine. Well, James is not well. James, uh, we, we wish you on the men. We'll have you back here real soon. And uh, we have a special in-studio guest tonight just joining us for shits and giggles. Uh-oh, drum roll, please. I don't have a drum roll anymore. What? Um, I don't know what my drum roll is did done. We lose, did we lose funding for our drum roll? We lost funding for the drum roll. The drummer quit? Oh, well. We need a new percussion section. We'll just, we'll just go to, to, uh, to this. Please welcome Brooke Lorette. <laughs> That's a, ter- a great <laughs> yeah. It's a terrific build-up. She's heading out the door right now, yeah, actually. She's yeah, fleeing the yeah. building. Yeah. Hi, Hi Brooke. Brooke. Hello. We'll have you back on the show as an official Survivor Spotlight, but thank you for showing up tonight. <laughs> thank you. And uh, you're from Connecticut. You are a young survivor. And, and pull uh, the mic closer to you as well, Brooke, right yes. up there. Yeah. There, there you go. go. Yeah, you're right. going to major in communications. You've got to learn how to eat the mic. This, this, is, exactly. this is your first test. This is Radio 101. <laughs> I just had a little taster. Exactly. <clears throat> you right over there? I swallowed coffee the wrong way. Nice. Sorry. Uh-oh. Lovely. See, I can drink coffee the wrong way, too, you know. This is only audio. You need to be able to talk. Yes. <laughs> Thank God I have Uh-oh. a face for radio, too, which yeah, is good. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway. So well, what's we, new with you, Matthew? What's new with me? I'm moving. I feel like we always talk about everybody but you. I'm moving. What? My wife and I and my kids, my, my two-year-old twins, Kobe and Hannah, we are moving into a new uh, apartment building over the next... Uh, three weeks, and it is insanely hectic and harrying and annoying, and I'm exhausted. I heard, I heard Kobe and Hannah are going to get their own little sublet. Yes. they Sub-B-blet. They, <laughs> yes, they are finally going from uh, occupying my bedroom and their bedroom to occupying their bedroom and their bedroom. You're occupying Coney Island, right? Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's Brighton Beach. Oh, Brighton Beach. Which is like literally like one street away from Coney Island. Are you with all the Russian Jews? Oh, yes. I'm returning to my roots. Nice. All those people that went to Shea Stadium today. And we're davening. And we're yeah, davening. I was going to say, you opened the show with like a welcome. 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 His usual phlegmy state. That's yeah. terrible. Man. Uh, so congratulations, Mazel Tov, Thank on you. the new digs. Yeah, so I'm just really tired. So anyway, we're off next week, not just because it's Memorial Day, but because I'm exhausted and we're moving. See, this is what happens. We never are off on a holiday, but Matthew's exhausted. Right, right. So we get to have... The news stops with Matthew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Slumber. So actually, we're taking this day off. Well, the building is closed next week too, so it'll be like twenty twenty degrees hotter in this room than and normal. And that's different. That's different from every other yeah, holiday. That, I was going to say that hasn't stopped us before. This is when your employees strike back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, that gets one of these. That gets. Uh... Yeah. Well, the yeah. sad part of that is Lisa and I are the only people that know what that means. Yep. Really. Do you know where that's from, Kenny? The price is right. Okay. Did you guys know where that was from? No. no. I was going to say the price is wrong, bitch. Well, no. All right. So the 22-year-olds in the room, no, you're 19. Matt, how old are you? 24. 
the 24-hour. All right, well, grace period, I suppose. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I've been in the audience of The Price is Right. That's how old so I am. So have I. <laughs> so have I. You have? Yes. When did you go? My friend Jason Rosenberg took me in the summer of 1994 to be in The Price is Right. Metal. So you were out in LA. So were, are you, were you a Price is Right fan? No, he's just like, we're going to go somewhere today. Like, where are we going? We're going to CBS. You said so, you were tooling around L.A., and you just drove to CBS, and you went and he took you to the Price is Right. Yeah, I had a little sticker on right. my shirt that said, Matthew, yeah. on it? Yeah. So did he have t- did he work in the industry? No, or yeah, he, he sort of had a, a friend there, yeah. but it was just extraordinary. That's so funny. I yeah. went to, I took Wendy, my wife, oh, Wendy. Now yes. I've never, I haven't thought about this yes. in like 20 years, but the person in front of me and behind me won. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you make it on camera? No, I'm sure I did at some point with the with the freaks in front of yeah. me. Literally, the guy in front of Jay and the person behind me won. Were they women with incredibly large breasts who just got up and jumped up and down? Bob Barker's Bob favorite. Barker, yeah. He always picked the large-breasted women who just jumped up and down Terrible. a lot. Terrible. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So we were both there. At the same time? At the Price is Right. No. No, not at the same time. I took Wendy. She was actually a big fan of the show. I surprised her for her birthday one time in L.A., and she said, she said, where are she we going? She said, jewelry would be nice. I know. She, she said, where are we going? I said, it's a surprise. <laughs> and, and to get to CBS. And it was. It's a true story. To get to CBS, we had to drive past the Hustler store. Oh, God, what? And oh. She, she, she said, oh, my God, you're taking me to the Hustler store. I said, don't get, a, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> it's just the price is right. Okay. Anyway. All right. Well, we had, we had two uh, celebrity passings this week, tragic uh, cancer um, from cancer, um, and uh, if you can guess who this is, then you're a human being. I'm just gonna skip the lyrics. I really want to do and my impression. You can never go wrong with the Bee Gees, ever nope. under any circumstances. True that, Matthew. Oh well. I imagine. Rest in peace, Robin yeah. Gibb. Robin Gibb. My dad's in the chat room, and I just want to thank him for force feeding me the Bee Gees as yeah. a child. So that's one. It was a big bad sad week for disco. And a big bad sad week for disco too. We have a. Uh... I love this woman. Donna Summer can do no wrong either. You know, I can't find this on the radio. It's my favorite Donna Summer song. It's a great song. And I couldn't find it. You got um, It's got to be somewhere on iTunes. I'm searching on the radio like everything except on the radio. Such Shut a great up song. in the search. Donna Summer. Yeah. Rest in peace. It's really sad. Huge impact. Yeah. Huge pop culture impact, both of them. Yep. Ah, uh, the soundtrack to our lives. Yeah, indeed. To our youth. My dad writing it Very from the sad. chat room. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah. So he had, he had, Robin had colon, colon cancer, cancer and she had breast cancer, died at yeah. 63. Mm-hmm. Wow. Too soon. Terrible. Stupid cancer. Terrible. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, on that note, let's give up uh, um, some fun tonight because we're bringing back our celebrity uh, returning champion, uh, and that would be... Would you like to do the honors, or would you like me to? I'll let you do the honors because oh, I, I would love let, to. Let's keep something really cool for her. Um, how about this one? This is classy enough for Allie. She's a classy chick, that Allie. Allie Ward. 
is a four-year stage four ovarian cancer thriver, damn it. When Allie was told she may have only a few months to live in 2009, she decided, decided to stop conventional treatment and focus on her quality of life. Two years later, she still strives. No, this is a little bit, this is not two years later. This is three years later. Yeah. She lives life to the fullest, don't we know it, while living with advanced disease. As chair of the OMG 2012 Steering Committee, she's committed to supporting those affected by young adult cancer. Allie feels it's important to talk about the sometimes hard and uncomfortable issues such as living with chronic disease and the dreaded D word. She is a kick-ass member of our community. As we said, she was completely and utterly responsible for putting together the OMG Summit. You know where you love her? Allie Lolly, nicknamed Ward. Allie Ward, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, my darling. How are you? Did you miss me? I have. It's been all of like 48 hours since I've talked to you. I know, yeah. but did you miss Kenny Moore? It's been all of well, four I, hours. <laughs> maybe, she, maybe she missed I Lisa the most. I talked to him four hours ago. No, you missed Lisa the most. Yes. I I do, I do. We have to stick together. You're the cowardly lion. The women, no, no, the, the scarecrow. Women do. Which is the one Dorothy <laughs> would miss the most? The, the scarecrow. The, the women yeah. of uh, of stupid cancer, yeah. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Allie and I FaceTime randomly. Really? Yeah. Is that what you call them these days? You crazy kid. <laughs> hey, 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 don't spread rumors. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show. Um, Thank you. It's an honor. This this show is about our, our partners at First Descents, and we wanted to bring you back because there are so many success stories for people that go to First Descents whose lives are transformed but it doesn't typically happen in your situation because it was long after you were diagnosed. You had gone three years after your diagnosis, two years after you were diagnosed, instead of within you know a very short period of time like most of them are. It's like a prescription for survivorship. And then it changed your life in a very different way. Than, and I'd like you to comment on that because that's my perception. I've known dozens of people that have gone to FD. But why don't we start with your story uh, for those who have not heard it. And uh, how you uh, you came to find out about the uh, Alley 2.0? Okay. Um, well, let's see. Four years and eleven months ago, almost to the date, um, it'll be five years in June. I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and um, it was. I mean, I was 35 years old, and it was life changing. Um, and it you know I did treatment for the first year and a half, and the cancer kept spreading, and uh life kept getting harder and The doctors turned to me and said, "You know we can't give you a cure uh we can just give you time and the I continued treatment for a while, but the treatment was making me so sick it was really hurting my quality of life uh so I made the very tough decision in January of 2009 to stop treatment. Um, the doctors fully expected me to only live three to six months. Um, they were wrong, obviously, because it's uh, much longer after that, and I have survived. Um, but those years were rough, um, and I didn't do a whole lot. For a while I was very ill, but for a long time I was just sitting around waiting to die. Um, and was spending a lot of time in my lazy boy and really didn't think that I had a future. Um, and and that was really tough. Allie, tell us about what it's like when you approach friends and family and tell them that you're going to stop your treatment. 
Um, some people were really supportive because they saw how horrible it was and how sick I was and that I really didn't do anything. I mean, I worked um, and then I slept or threw up or different things like that. I didn't have the energy to be who I was, and so I really was a shell of who I used to be. And um, some people really understood that. Other people saw it as giving up um, and really had a hard time. because. And a lot of it, it wasn't criticism of me. It's just that they weren't ready to lose me. So therefore, they thought that I should continue or try everything, throw at it, you know, the kitchen sink at cancer if it was going to help me survive. Um, so you're sitting on the couch then and you're thinking – you said like you're waiting to die and you're sitting on your lazy boy, but you're one of the most active, vital, vibrant, vibrant people that I know. So at what point was there a change or a turning point where you said, screw this, I'm off the lazy boy and I'm going to put together the OMG Summit? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't an easy road and it wasn't always a continuous road. There were days that I wanted to do stuff and I got up and did it and Two years ago, I went on a canoe trip for solo survivors, which is a singles cancer survivor group, and I learned that I could still have fun and feel like shit because the whole time I was puking down the river as I was being paddled by another canoeer. It's natural. And, it goes right in the river. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody throws up. Um, so it was, I learned then that I could start doing stuff even if I didn't feel good, which before then I really thought I couldn't do anything. Um, and so it was it was slow. And I've always blogged and I've always, like, funneled energy. So when people saw me, they saw me as alive. But I would say that that was, like, 10% of my life. And the rest of the time I just stayed at home and didn't go out and didn't talk to people. Uh, and conserved my energy for that little bit of time that I was going to go. Uh, and I didn't realize how much that physically I wasn't dying, but emotionally I was dying. Hmm. Uh, and around that time, I, I have a lot of friends. I met a lot of people on, on the canoe trip, and a lot of friends have been to First Ascents, and everybody said, you need to go. And I said, no, there's no way. I'm I'm too sick. I was using a cane. I physically didn't feel like I was strong enough, um, and I thought I'd be a burden on everybody. There's no way that I can go to first ascents, and I refused. And I kept, and people kept annoying me and kept asking me and 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 uh, you know telling me I had to go, and I was just like, no, there's no way in hell that I'm going to first ascents. Uh, and finally, one of my friends uh, called Brad Ludden and said, you need to call her and get her to go to camp. So last April, he called me and convinced me that uh, I would be healthy enough to go and you that I a, wouldn't be a burden. So you get a call from the man himself, the founder, from of, the man himself. The founder of First Ascents, which yep. does uh, kayaking and, and, and climbing, hiking, right? Those mm-hmm. are the two main events. They do climbing, kayaking, and now they do surfing. And now they do surfing, right. And Brad, for the folks out there that are not, he's going to come on soon on the show. But uh, Matthew, you chime in here too. He is a very, very good-looking man. Yes. Well, he was on the show once in studio and yes. came with about eighteen women. Yes. Yeah. Brad is a is a is a like Olympic 
kayaker or a professional? He's like a Nike-sponsored uh, professional kayaker. Yes. And so you get, so he calls you up and says, "Get your butt out here. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You're going to be able to do this." And uh, yeah, I, I mean. He and he'll, they'll probably talk about it, is they really give a lot of support to the campers. I mean, it's a, it's a well-done, first-class, um, supported event. And I was really nervous because I was afraid that I wasn't strong enough. Um, and I went there, and that week literally changed my life. It was the hardest week. I went to Montana in the middle of July. Um, and it was one of the hardest weeks that I've ever had in my entire life, including all the cancer treatments. And it was also the best week of my life. So, so t- talk about that more. I mean, how did you feel kind of emotionally? And how did you did you have moments where you thought, I can't do this, or did you just continue to build your confidence throughout the week? It was kind of a little bit of both. I mean, so I get there and I'm really nervous, and I'm I've always been really scared of white water, so that. That the whole concept that I was going in white water was I was just like there's no way I'm going to do this. Well, as opposed to black water, because they torture you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, black water would have been worse. <laughs> um, and I, so I go, and the first day that we were not not the first day. That, well, the first day we get there, we have to get all your gear and everything, and and I wasn't sure at first if they were going to let me be on the you know in a kayak because of my physical condition at the time and then they're like well if you want to try we're going to support you which is what they do there they support you in however you want to try to do stuff and um so the first day you get out to a lake and you have to learn to roll the kayak hmm. and go upside down go completely and right it, so that's like completely doing a 360, right? Like doing exactly. a 360 well, and coming like back. A, well, they do more of a 180 or 180. back. Come back up the same side. Is that your Facebook yes. picture, Allie? Yes, my Facebook picture. All right. And they, and then you have to go back under, and then you have to pull the spray skirt so you can empty out of the kayak and come up. Because if you're on the river and you turn over, you need to be able to exit the kayak if you need to. Well, I go out there and I start having a full-blown panic attack. There, right. I thought there, I can't do this. I can't yeah. go upside down. There's no. I had enough trouble getting out of the kayak on land because I just wasn't really physically strong enough to push myself out of the kayak. And I thought there's no way I'm going to get stuck in here, and I'm going to hang upside down. There's, I can't do this. And we braked for lunch. I didn't go back in the kayak at first, and I thought. I might as well go home. I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, I'm not going to be able to do the whole week. I'm, I'm a total failure. I'm such a loser. I can't do it. And I was freaking out. Um, and finally, everybody else went out, and, and they gave me space. They let me kind of watch everybody else out on the lake, and and uh, they, nobody, like, was nagging me to go out in the kayak. And finally, I was like, okay, I think I want to try this again. And within seconds, they had me back in the kayak because I think they knew that, okay, if you give her too much time to think about it, yeah. you know, she's going to back out again. That's and like I when, go out there. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that's when Matt, similar to like when Matt asked you to be on the OMG steering committee. Exactly. Like, say don't give her, t- don't give her now, too much you, time. Don't give her time to think about it. <laughs> um, that's how I get and, all my uh, Exactly. So I go out back out in the water, and I actually on my Facebook is a whole slew of pictures. Um, they helped me 
and I did a I did a role, and the camp photographer took a picture of me. So I have it from me sitting up, halfway down, completely under, back way up, with water streaming out of my helmet, and then sitting back up, gasping for air. Um, and it 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 was a hard moment, but I was able to succeed. And then a couple minutes later, I did um, the wet exit. And I, the next day we went back out on the lake and I hung upside down for 10 seconds uh, before I gave the signal to be pulled back up. So I, I steadily improved um, and I started gaining more confidence. And one of the things that I learned was I kept, on the first day I kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And finally, my, the guide that was with me said, you need to stop apologizing. You know, you're trying. As long as you try, you know, we'll help you in whatever you need. To, you need, but you don't apologize for anything. You know, you're not doing anything wrong. And I learned then that I was not a burden on people. Um, that it's okay to ask for help, and that I shouldn't apologize for something that I physically or mentally can't do. Yeah, you good know? lesson all around. So, Adeline, yeah. let me ask you, from from the perspective of some of the other people that happened to be on this camp with you, this particular uh, trip with you, were there mm-hmm. others that went through a, sort of a similar, I guess, uh, emotional, physical, you know, uh, psychological were. transformation like that? I, You know, the, I'm in touch with a couple people and a lot of them. I don't know if any of them, if it has done for them what it's done for me, Several people are still involved, and a lot of them are going back to camp this year. Um, I don't know if anybody was in the same spot where they felt like just a complete loser and incapable of doing things like I did, but I know that there are many people that have gone to First Ascents and have come out, and it's changed their life. So I'm not not the only person that's done that. I've heard so many people and so many stories, and, and, uh, you know, that week, it continued to be tough, and and um, I was I slept every time I was on the uh, got back to land, and I was so exhausted, and um, I had another kind of panic time on Friday, and didn't think I could get back out on the water, and other campers um, talked me down, and and uh, you know we became quite a close knit group, and um, they had guides with me on the water the whole week because of my physical condition. So there was one with me every day. Um, and uh, on Friday, one of the um, other campers turned to me and said that they got in the water that day, even though they were scared, because I did it. There you go. A role model. Allie, we're going to take a break, uh, get to the news, and uh, bring out um, uh, Darren and stepmom, and then we'll bring you back on, okay? Okay, sounds good. All right, stick around. Allie Ward, everybody. One and only. Okay, now it's time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. I keep promising to shorten this part, and I keep forgetting to shorten this part. All right, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we do not want you missing out on. They're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, Hiking and mountain climbing trips like this particular show, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up during this part of the, that you'd like us to mention, uh, we will be happy to accommodate you. And 
what talk Matt, about what Matt said. Whatever yeah. I just said. That's how we need to shorten this part of the show. Please send it to info <laughs> at stupidcancer.com. Thank you. Good night. All right. Brother Neil. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop. We don't want you missing out on something that could be happening in your neck of the woods, as in what, Kenny? Well, I'm sure that someone will mention this after me, but June 7th is our annual fundraiser, the Ungala. So look out for that. Come to New York City and hang out with us and party as only we can. Stupid Cancer Way. Uh, following that, Friday, June 15th in Texas, there's a Stupid Cancer Happy Hour. Texas. In nice. Texas. And Friday, June 22nd well, here in New York Is that for City. the entire state of Texas? It is. Or is there a specific locale? It's the uh, whole it, state. It's the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Deep in the heart of. But everyone is encouraged to descend upon Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah, drive nine hours from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Drive cross-country in right. your state. Uh, okay, so Friday, June 22nd here in New York City, Cancer and Careers, the National Conference on Work and Cancer at the Desmond Tutu Center. I just said that because I want to say Desmond Tutu. Yes. And that is it for the event. Say it two-two times. I will. All right, presenting the Cancer Card, brought to you by Stupid Cancer. Yes, it's an actual plastic credit card and accompanying keychain fob because it's time to cash in all those pity chips and nook your diagnosis for all it's worth. He's laughing at his own copy. I know. <laughs> why? Because why not? I, I am just, so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Play your cancer card. You'll be glad you did. After all, you've earned it. Survivor's Rule, fourteen ninety nine for a 10-pack order today at playthecard.org. All right, the Stupid Cancer, cancer Forum, they are 2,500 members strong. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, caregivers, just like you. You can talk about anything and everything, and they do. It's pretty great. StupidCancerForums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. And as our ginger friend mentioned before, the Stupid Cancer on Gala. Would you the call me? sixth annual Stupid Cancer on Gala in New York City on June 7th. $75 open bar for three hours, $25 cash bar. Attention, Tri-State, come on, come on for our epic club night of dancing, raffles, and the raw power of Stupid Cancer. Visit stupidcanceronggala.org, and that is your Stupid, Stupid Cancer, Cancer News. News. I have to correct myself. I think I said Donna Summer had breast cancer and she had lung, lung cancer. cancer. Because yeah. I think somebody in the Did chat room smoke? caught that. I'm perpetuating this stereotype by asking. I don't think I'm she did, curious. but I'm going to look that up. But I don't think someone she did. said that she was blaming 9/11 for it. Did she live in Manhattan downtown when it happened? We'll find out. Do not know. To that. the Google, we shall yeah. find out to very the soon. All right. Well, with that said, let us uh, welcome our one of our guests is on the line here, Lisa Goodman Goldstein, aka Stepmom and Mamathon, is the director of development and also the managing captain extraordinaire. Of First Descent's athletic fundraising team, Team FD. Lisa was introduced to FD at the ripe young age of 40 when she was asked by her friend, the late former FD director, executive director, uh, Alan Goldberg, to attend a camp. She soon went from volunteer to staff, initially as programming coordinator and more recently taking over as the head of Team FD. She also likes knitting. Well, we won't hold that against her. Please welcome. Who doesn't? Stepmom, Lisa Goldstein. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hello, everyone. Hi, Stepmom. Thanks for having us on the show. Oh, it's it's a pleasure to have you back. It's been a long time. It has been, but we are excited. Hopefully you uh, found Brad. He was out in uh, cell phone problems. Well, uh, well, we'll wait for him to call in, but I know that he uh, did post on Facebook that he was going to be he's excited to be on the show tonight. Yes, we are. Very excited. Yeah. How's everyone there? 
Everyone's good. I realize the last time we had FD here was uh, was when you guys were on the marathon in uh, 2010. Ooh, that has been a very long time. Yeah, it's Wait, been what, way too. What, what about the one when they had 18 people here? That was the that marathon. Was that was the marathon. That was, the last time that was November were... of 2010. Time flies. We had 18 of you here in the room. It was crazy. And Brad. They did the marathon with. Uh... The, the ING marathon. Yeah, with Ryan. Um... Uh, Ryan Sutter. No. Ryan Sutter. Ryan right. Sutter. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Oh, I think we have Brad. Brad's on the way. Uh, but in any case, uh, how are you doing? How's, how's life going out there in Colorado? Everything is good. We are really up, up. way. Whoops. You just clicked out on us. Keep up. going. Up. Programs are underway, and everything's great. Just keep them busy. So we, we want to hear all about, so do you have a new, is, is it kind of a new season for FD, or what's going on? We do. Um, hoping Brad was going to talk to, the, uh, to this. We have about almost 50 programs running this year. 50? Anywhere. Mm-hmm. Anywhere well, I'm not from, impressed. <laughs> why am I not surprised? Right. <laughs> wait, wait, Brad's here. We have Brad. I was going to hear some, like, really sexy, handsome music, but I think this is the best I got. All right, Lisa, you're up. That's pretty good. Brad Ludden, everybody. By 18 years old, Brad Ludden had kayaked in over 20 countries. Eh, 20 countries. All right. I call those Tuesdays. And found his true passion within the sport when he was 12. We're going backwards now in age. His 38-year-old aunt uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer, and Brad watched her endure a lack of age-appropriate support. Then... He's back to 18. He started working on First Ascents to help young adults like his aunt by giving them the life-changing experience of kayaking, as Allie said. Today, First Ascents offers young adult cancer fighters and survivors ages 18 to 39 a free outdoor adventure experience designed to empower them to climb, paddle, and surf beyond their diagnosis, defy their cancer, reclaim their lives, and connect with others as they do the same. Welcome to the show, everybody. Returning champ, Brad Ludden. Hi, Brad. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I, Dr. I Hanson. I love my, my welcomes and introductions to the show. I feel so much cooler than I actually am. <laughs> well, the, tr- the truth is I haven't embarrassed you fully yet. Uh-oh. <laughs> because every every time you're on the show, and this is your third appearance on the show, I have to mention the fact that you were Cosmopolitan's most eligible bachelor of the year. He's still eating at him. It's still eating at Matthew, it, Brad. He can't take it. That's was, why he has to I keep a, mentioning I it. I was a close 5,000th five, five in that context. <laughs> Matthew I would have traded like, you places. <laughs> Matthew, you, you could be like tech crunches, like handsome guy of the year or something like that. J-Date member of uh, <laughs> October 2009. Shut up. <laughs> J-Date. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we're excited to have you guys on the show. Lisa was just talking about the, the got 50 programs lined up this year. And uh, we have a whole bunch of people that have been commenting. Lisa G, all, that is. Lisa yeah. Gold, yeah. Berger, Heinstein, Witten, Schweigen, whatever your last name is. Too many Jewish people here tonight. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, but uh, let's go back to Alan Goldberg for a second. I want to start with him because I knew him very well uh, way back in from like 2003, 2004, 2005. And... Um, Talk to us about you. Know, you're obviously you're a, an Olympic level professional kayaker. You're sponsored by Nike. You've been doing this for quite a while now. How did you come across uh, Alan with your aunt? Talk us through the early days. Yeah, absolutely. So um, actually, first descent had been around for about five years. The day I met Alan, 
I was out at the Nike World Headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon. They flew me out because of Liv Strong and Lance. They were performing their first really big uh, ride when it had switched from Rides for the Roses to Liv Strong rides. And Anyway, so I went out, and I was supposed to meet with Doug Ullman that day, but Doug was busy, and so they, they stuck me with Alan. It turned out to be one of the best things that's ever happened the first sense. And uh sat down, had an amazing day with Alan. Uh, he showed interest in coming onto our board. I, of course, thought it was a great move, and... Um, Shortly after coming onto the board, we, we as a board decided we need to hire our first ever executive director, and uh, Alan made the most sense. So Alan took the position, left the board, came on as ED, and started running First Ascent. At the time, we were actually doing adolescent and young adult. Our programs really seemed to speak better to that young adult population. Alan, uh, having worked you know, within the, the cancer landscape his whole life, having uh, been a childhood survivor himself, seemed to know quite a bit and realized that the, the opportunity and the need and the impact was really with the young adult community, and so he encouraged the board to consider switching fully to young adults, and we, you know, decided that was a great idea, and we haven't looked back since. And so that was like the first two months of him as executive director. He was on, unfortunately, shortly thereafter, relapsed with cancer, um, stayed on with us until the day passed uh, a few years ago, and in the time he was with First Defense, he really did so much to shape it and drive it and um, turn it into what it is today. So he kind of lived on. Sorry, what was Alan's original diagnosis, and how old was he? He had a rhabdomyosarcoma at 13, uh, and then it uh, came back. It presented in, in his spine. He was actually, Alan was doing Ironman competitions, a lot of triathlons, really active, and he was actually on a trail run, and he fell, and it, it kind of hurt his back, and it kept bothering, kept bothering, finally went in for a scan, and turns out it had nothing to do with the fall. So, um, you know, came back pretty aggressively, uh, treated it as best he could, but just uh, ultimately... Uh, didn't make it through that, and um, like I said, is his he's kind of a legend that lives on at first defense every day. He seems to be reappearing at every turn, which is pretty cool. So, and Lisa, you're you obviously you started as a volunteer, so you're a great example of someone who came up through the ranks. Um, what what was your first impression when you when you like? Well, what is this? Oh wow! Well, so it started off with my husband, with Alan calling my husband and asking him to take on the Leadville 100, which is this insane mountain bike race at t- over 10,000 feet in Co- Leadville, Colorado. And just to be clear, like, we should just mention for folks who don't know, so Alan Goldberg was a a triathlete, right? Who was basically just a, a, a that's how you originally, Brad, as you said, you connected with him, kind of as two athletes talking. Uh, yeah, so he actually worked at Livestrong. Right. Um, and, and I met him when I was doing stuff with Nike. I flew out, met him while he was out doing the Livestrong ride. He was just a recreational athlete, you could say, but he was doing things at a professional level. He, he took it pretty seriously. Yeah. Okay, Lisa, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. So I watched him and my husband train for this race and talk about his charity, and finally I said, all right, well, I need something to do because my husband was raising money and they were all training for this crazy bike ride, so Alan said, come to camp. And I said, well, what am I going to do there? And he kept saying, you're going to be a camp mom. So I thought, all right. And I went to camp, and literally from the time I stepped onto the at, at the location where camp was, it was just amazing to watch the energy as everyone arrived. Everyone gets a nickname at camp, as Envy knows, because he won't come to camp and get one. Um, but everyone gets a nickname at camp. You, ha- you and- may have three children, but I have two at the same time. <laughs> no. Anyway, excuses, excuses. Anyway, but, yeah, the energy at camp is just amazing. And as everyone knows, the minute 
from the time I got there till today, I'm just so enamored of the work that First Ascent is doing and knew that when I left camp after those first five days that I had found what I needed to be doing every single day and just started volunteering and finding more ways to contribute and eventually, you know, just went on staff because at 35 hours a week or 40 hours a week, it wasn't really a volunteer position anymore. Right. So, Brad, tell us, we were kind of had started before you jumped on the line here, but we'd love to hear it from you. Tell us, you've got 50-some-odd uh, programs, Lisa was saying, and uh, tell us about all the new and great stuff that's going on with FD. This could take a while. <laughs> well, first of all, hang on, Brad, hang on. How many programs did FD have like five years ago? Let's put this in perspective. So when Alan when Alan came to us, we had three programs, and we we're we we're making the big leap to five. And then Alan carried us all the way up until we had nine programs, um, which was a considerable amount of growth by percentage. And then <clears throat> when he passed, we took a year and stayed at nine, just because you know his passing was a pretty big impact to, to the organization. Um, then we, after that year off, we went to 15. Then last year we went to 27. This year we're at 50. Um, and so, that, and, you know, we've added those new locations. We're all over the country. We're in Canada. We're in Central and South America. We've added surfing, rock climbing, mountaineering. Obviously, we still have kayaking. Um, and we've actually added two-day programming as well. So we're uh, here at the end of the month, we'll be up in, in New York in partnership with Sloan Kettering doing a two-day program up there. Uh, we're at OHSU, UCLA, USC. Um, gosh, we're all over the place. So, Great. a lot of opportunities, a lot of um, you know different places. Uh, it's all free. And, and again, you know, if if you're not interested in kayaking, don't be discouraged. We have a lot of other great adventures that you can go on. So, really encourage people to to get in touch with us, talk to a coordinator, and figure out where the best fit might be for them. And this is, are you basically in the, I guess it depends what part of the, what climate you're in, but do, are there activities that are going on 365 days a year? Not yet. Okay. Um, well, let me rephrase that. There are, yes, but uh, so we have tiered programming now. And when I when I mentioned Central and South America, or we were down in Peru, we just finished up a surfing program in Costa Rica. We'll be hiking in Patagonia, um, things like that. So those will be more of a, a year-round program. Our FD1 and 2, kind of our first and second level programming, uh, is more of a uh, summer, spring to fall thing, and that's mostly domestic. So our goal is to expand that to year-round to accommodate more people's schedules, uh, but as of right now, the majority of our programs fall between May 15th and September 15th. Right. So as as director of development, you know, uh, Lisa, uh, I mean, I've been privy to watch you guys grow for the last five years and vice versa. It's been quite an amazing ride since 2006. And uh, actually, that would be six years, which is extraordinary. So how do you recruit? Like, do, do Americans go to South America? Are you getting survivors internationally going to those destinations? How does your ecosystem ebb and flow? Um, it's amazing. This, you know, well, a lot of our recruitment comes from the Stupid Cancer Show and from people who have been involved in I2Y. We partner with you guys. We partner with Immerman. We do a bunch of different, you know, oncology nurses shows, different, really, mostly still, I'd say, and Brad can correct me if I'm wrong, I'd say most of our pro, of our participants are still Americans. We do have, when we ran the Canada camp, it was mainly Canadians. We have had someone from Australia. Um, but the recruiting this year has been amazing. We, for our first time in history, have a wait list of over 100 participants who would like to come to our programs. All and 50 of all 50 of them, and wow. all of our programs are completely full. Wow. That's amazing. 
Yeah, it's really it's it's and 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 my job as director of development, it's like okay, where am I going to find enough money to fund more camps? Because that is to me what we you know that is our mission is to make sure all these people get to an experience a week at first ascent. Wow. So let's let's talk about that. Where do you get your money to fund? <laughs> How is it? I mean, wh- how Brad's do you guys good looks can only generate can so only much cash. Can only go so far, right? <laughs> they make my job so easy. You have no idea. <laughs> um, where do we get? We um a lot of private donors, a lot of corporations, lots of grants. Probably the same places everyone else does. Our biggest fundraising platform last year was Team FD, where we ask our participants and donors and their families, anyone who wants to raise money for First Ascent, to take on any challenge, whether it's doing yoga every day for a month, whether it's the Leadville 100, the New York City Marathon, a bike-a-thon, whatever they want to do and raise money around that challenge. And last year for us, that raised over $800,000. So that was really, really exciting. And can I just say wow. that that was a stroke of genius to tap into your alumni network and, and invite people back based on – I mean, it, I, I, I can't say this directly, and then Allie's still on the phone here, um, and, and, and uh, the way in which we structured – the summit this year with the alumni network where we got people who have come to past events and incentivize them to raise money to be there and ensure the success of the event very much modeled around what you guys have already seen tremendous tremendous success about and when we raise uh, $800,000 from that I will then fly to Colorado and go to First Descent yay I look forward to that I look forward to that all right, Allie. So, you, Allie, you, uh, no, no, no stress, no, uh, no challenge there. Yeah, this year we raised what? I don't even remember. One thirteen. Over one hundred thousand, and now you want me to raise eight hundred thousand so you can go to camp? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not just so that I can go to camp, but that my wife can hate me for not being home watching the kids while I go. And and, okay. and and get stressed and doing a flip on a kayak. I'll match the donation. Matt, I will do whatever is necessary to get you to camp. P.S. <laughs> Matthew travels all the time. It has nothing to do with that. He just doesn't like to be athletic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll match the donation if I can come up with Matt's lefty uh, nickname. Uh, let, let's talk about, because Allie talked about her transformative experience at FD, and I'd like to hear from Lisa and Brad. Is there a moment or moment or some anecdote that you can share of, of a particular camper that really stands out where you really saw the metamorphosis before your eyes and said, wow, this is really what this is all about. Oh, man, it's hard to pick one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, so many of our participants kind of experienced it at the same time. Actually, Alan called it the Lieutenant Dan moment, and that seems to have stuck because it's really <laughs> fitting. Um, in the face of such great challenges, and, and maybe Alan could speak better to this in her own personal experience, but, you know, when you're a couple hundred feet up on a vertical rock wall or kayaking down a chaotic class three rapid, there's usually this breaking point for anybody but it seems to be consistent within our participants where they, they kind of break and they have that, you know, that Lieutenant Dan in the eye of the storm moment. From Forrest um, Gump, they, Lieutenant Dan. Yes, exactly, right? yes. and he's uh-huh. on the boat in the storm. And, right. Um, it's kind of that same breakthrough where it's just, I don't I don't know how to describe it or what causes it, but it seems like a lot of our participants kind of have that release, that breakthrough, and uh, we see it so many times, a lot of them, you know, show up. There's maybe some anger, uncertainty, insecurity surrounding their diagnosis, you know, their place in the world socially, professionally, personally, whatever. And they come in, and, and through the process of these uh, these outdoor adventures, they start to, to maybe break through some of those barriers that they, that have been created, and watching them break through is so amazing. Yeah. And kind of get back to living on their terms, and it, it's really a fun process to be a part of. But that's the whole point. 
of first descent. And and actually, we should probably just touch on the fact that what is first descent? What does that mean? Where did that come from? Um, so first descent is a, is a pretty well-known term within the extreme kayak community, and it's sort of like, you know, we, we don't have a Super Bowl or Tour de France, and so this, for us, a first descent is that. It, it carries a lot of legitimacy and credibility and, and respect with it, and when you hear that one of your friends pulled off a first descent, you know, your ears kind of perked up and you, you just want to shake their hand. Um, the first descent is the first time anyone's ever kayaked down a, a section of a river, and so, um, it's, you know, for us, that you, you you can only, even with Google Earth these days, which I didn't have until so old, I didn't have when I was in, in the prime of my career, you can only scout so much of a river. If no one's ever done it, there's going to be uncertainty. Every time you come around the corner, you, you kind of hold your breath and wait to see what you're going to get. And so doing a first descent, you know, requires so much, um, kind of such a big leap of faith because you really, when you put on that river, it's a one-way street to the takeout. And so you just hope <laughs> that everything goes well, you know. And, and it usually doesn't go well, but that's the adventure. And so you take off that river a much different person than you put on, and that adventure really shaped your life. And, and who you are, and so metamor- you know, metaphorically trying to bring that same experience of a first descent to our programs in, in that, you know, maybe someone's done this river 10,000 times, but it's the first time our participants have done it, it's their own first descent, and it carries that same transformation with it. Wow. So, Allie, how did you then incorporate your transformation at first descent into your daily life once you got back home? How did it manifest itself? Um, well, that I, I, that's hard to answer. Uh, for me, it was just remembering that experience and remembering that if I put my mind to something, I could do it. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things I did was stupid cancer. Um, Matt called me at a fairly weak moment not too long after I got back from camp when I was still on the high of thinking I could do just about anything and asked me to be a part of the OMG Summit. Mind um, you, I, didn't, I, I did not correlate that she had just got back from FD. I was planning on asking her anyway. So for me it was I, I had an opportunity to give back to a community um, and do something for other young adults. And I've done things for First Defense, and I said, okay, I want to do something for Stupid Cancer too. And And I decided that, I didn't want to be sitting in my lazy boy anymore, that I wanted to be living in whatever sense of living really was. Um, and it's not possible for me to get out to a kayak every day uh, and go down a river. But not it's in Baltimore? For me to, not in Baltimore. Uh, but it's possible for me to get up and work and do something. Um, and that was not something I thought I could do a year ago. Uh, Brad, Lee's the question, I, I'm surprised I've never asked this question before, but it's just something that, that pops into my head. The idea of, of nurses and social workers who work in oncology that are dealing with a lot of inpatients or in-treatment patients, you know, whether or not they're conscious of that, that FD should be what I would call a prescription as part of their survivorship program, uh, have you ever gotten any, any negative feedback? Are you crazy? You're going to take a survivor in a river and do this and this and this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean... You know, especially in the early years, I, I think now we're a bit more of a known entity within the community. You know, we just have this great partnership with Stanford and their lead behavioral scientists to study the programs. We're becoming a bit more credible, and so it's less of a it's it's less of a foreign concept to send one of your patients to one of our programs. But in the early days, I you know I started this when I was or started working on this. I guess our first camp, I was 19 years old. Yeah, I was a young professional kayaker, and we'd never done this, and so we were like going door to door 
to social workers and doctors and just saying, hey, you know, we're <laughs> taking people on extreme adventures. Do you want to send them? And, I mean, everyone just looked at us like we were crazy. And so, yeah. uh, you know, it was it was like asking someone to test parachutes, you know. They were just like, no, of course not. That's a terrible idea. We're never going to, you know, we're trying to help them and make them safer and better. Anyway, so, uh, you know, there's not really a lot of resistance early on, but I think now it's really come to be known as a, as a you know, more kind of household name within this Elisa cancer community and such. As such, people are a little more open to, to sending their patients to it. We do have a lot. I will say that we do have a lot of the social workers that say, "I'd like to come see it before I re- recommend or refer someone right. to it." Right. And so, and we we gladly, well, you know, we encourage that. And uh, it's funny because they'll come a little bit on guard and defensive, and they leave just like, you know, send me pamphlets, send me brochures. I'm, right. you know, next thing you know, we've got like 72 people applying for it. So sometimes it just takes a little while. Do you find it interesting that like the overwhelming majority of the young adult cancer films that have come out in the past couple of years are all about kayaking? <laughs> well, it's a great I visual. Didn't they, I didn't know they were, but no, I, I uh, yeah. Are you talking about like um, when Mike Lang up there? And, yeah, yeah. There's one called The Young Invincibles. There's Mikey Lang's film. There's uh, another one coming out. In, yeah, up in Canada, Mike yeah. Lang. Yeah. I was going to say I missed that scene in Fifty Fifty. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. You know, that made the uh, the deleted scene. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. No, but I think I the think there's a real. Ending. There's such a common experiential thread here with the open water and the freedom of maybe possibly breathing clean air, you know, with no electricity and no Internet, like that that you're just free from culture and society for a couple of days and you unplug yourself. It's kind of very Est-like from and, the 70s. And, and, and just, you know, for filmmaking in particular, such a dramatic... Very cinematographic, vis- well, yeah. Well, visual, right, to see right. something so empower- empowering and you're part of nature and you're taking right. charge and control and all of those great things that they do. So even if you don't have cancer, this is still a cool thing to do. <laughs> That's right. It's just even better, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We, we encourage everyone to do it. Right. Do you still have, when you guys were here and you were doing the marathon, you did it with... Um, with Ryan Suter from the Bachelor Bachelorette of Trista and Ryan uh, fame, correct? He was a friend of yes. yours before any of the whole Bachelorette notoriety, isn't that right, Brad? Yeah, yeah. Ryan, uh, Ryan, and I go way, way back. He he's lived in Vail a long time, and we have a lot of mutual friends. He's actually um, he, he's best known as like a C grade reality celebrity, <laughs> um, and I'll say that to his face. But uh, <laughs> the thing that people people don't know or sometimes don't realize about Ryan is that He's probably one of the strongest athletes I know. Um, the guy has snowboarded off of Aconcagua. He's done several Ironman competitions. He's this year he's running, sorry, he's riding the Leadville 100, and six days later he's doing a 120 mile trail run in Colorado. Oh so, Wasn't he a football player too? He was uh, all American safety for CU. He actually got recruited and played a few um, games for professional NFL teams. I mean. They, the guy, he's the most humble, unassuming person, but he's just, i you know, I can't sing his praises enough as an athlete. He's just so strong. It's ridiculous. So, wow. of course, we recruited him to, we're like, oh, this guy's got a lot of horsepower. Let's put him to work. <laughs> right. And so he did a bunch of events for us. So how do you go about deciding where each new program is going to be held and, and what it's going to be? Is it going to be, you know... Um, kayaking or mountain climbing or, or or chess. I'd come to the chess retreat if you did chess. <laughs> yeah. How do you we make those considered. decisions? Right. Um, 
it's a, that, that's kind of a good it's a good question because it's kind of a complicated process as much as it is simple. So, you know, the simple answer is we just look at really like literally rad places that we want to go, and we're like, let's go there. And then and then after that's sort of like the first phase of it is like, where's cool? Where would we want to go? What would we want to do? Start there. Um, we also ask our participants where they'd like to go, and then you know the more strategic answer is that we start. To, so we start with that rad factor and then we start to factor in okay you know what markets are we drawing most of our participants from you know where are the most convenient locations to those markets how can we reduce cost of travel because we pay uh, travel scholarships to all of our first year participants and actually next year we're going to start offering them for second year participants um, and then we also look from a development standpoint you know a lot of donors want to see local impact right and so for example new york's a big market for us we have a couple board members there we have a lot of traction with our donors there but they they keep saying okay well how many people are going to programs near here how many people are from here you know they want to see results locally so we sort of kind of look at all of those things combined and then you know take the top five and throw them in the bucket and produce and what about the accommodations for where people stay i mean and can you go say if you need have to have access to medications and things like that. I mean, are you are they pitching a tent, or is it something a little bit more comfortable than that? Like I said, if they have to Alan have, Alda comes they to have, every single yeah, first descent. If they have to have, you know, as I said, some sort of you know medical access or something, how does that work? So our participants have to go through not a lengthy, but you know, just a, a medical screening process with us and with their primary care physician, who ultimately signs off on them. Um, if they're in treatment, it has to be self-administered. We we don't provide any sort of clinical treatment at our program. We do have participants who may have to go into uh, a hospital or clinic one day of the program to get treatment or to get some sort of treatment administered. Um, But generally speaking, we try to have our participants work their treatment schedules around the program, and I don't mean that in a cocky way. It's just that with our locations and the activities we're doing, it's a bit easier if they can do that. Um, And so that said, the, the locations themselves are always fairly close to a major medical center in case of any sort of emergency, cancer or otherwise, which, to be honest, we're most worried about adventure medicine, trauma in the field, things like that, Yeah. you know, broken bones, climbing, whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, we also try to find really inspiring, beautiful lodges um, that are isolated. We try to keep all of our programs so that we are the only people in the facility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really nice, you know, <laughs> everyone's like, well, you know, they find out about our programs. I, I, I don't camp, and I'm like, oh, you obviously haven't done any research because we <laughs> right. don't either. You know, once you get to that third tier, that international travel, you better be prepared to camp. But at those first few levels of, of our programs, it's really nice, plush accommodations. Uh, the programs themselves are pretty exhausting. So to have to come back to a tent at the right. end of the night with no shower and no pillow might be a bit much. So Right. So don't have to use my old mess kit right. from, yeah, don't have to use my old mess kit to cook up something to eat from from my junior camping days. So, so I guess, no. Brad, sorry. The, the the question, of course, is how are these paid for? Is it free to survivors? Do they get scholarships? Do you raise money to give money away? How does that work? Yeah, no, it's completely free. So the program period at the end is free. All of our programs. Um, that said, like I mentioned just a minute ago, we do pay travel for for any first time participant who needs it. Next year, we're actually going to start factoring in travel scholarships for second year participants. Third-year participants have to pay their own travel, um, but the programs are still free. So if you want to go to Chile and kayak, you, you have to get yourself there. But once you're there, it's on our dime. Um, we also ask our, our second year, it's not mandatory. Our third year, it is. 
if you want to come back, you have to raise enough money, $1,000, to send a first-year participant to a program. So, and that's less, for, for us, I think, to be honest, it's less about the money as it is about the concept of paying it forward, and, and studies have proven that philanthropy can, in, it, in and of itself, be somewhat therapeutic. And so just putting yourself in a place of power, uh, a place where you're giving back to someone else who was in the same position, who is in the same position, perhaps, that you were, uh, you know, and trying to trying to kind of get a leg up on your cancer that way. And so that's sort of the way it works. But as I said, the programs are free forever, period. Um, we have to, you know, Lisa has become skilled at robbing banks and local convenience stores, and <clears throat> it seems to be working out really well. Very nice. I'm sure that was in your resume, too. <laughs> that's so, how we hired her. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really impressed that you were able to come and uh, build out a program here in New York, especially with Sloan Kettering. Did you find working with them, uh, it, were they receptive to the idea of working with you? They were actually extremely receptive. You know, with them there was a lot of red tape, uh, some stuff that was out of their control, I think just given the size of the, of the you know, the center. Right. Um, but they've been incredibly supportive, really open to the idea, really like the idea of, of having just one more opportunity for their patients uh, to get out and do something to, to kind of unite their young adult community at the center. And so, uh, to be honest, I haven't owned that relationship. I haven't really been in charge of it. So I, I can't say firsthand what it's been like, but all the feedback I've received has been really positive. So, and what is the actual program you're doing here in New York? Uh, we're actually doing a lot of them. Um, this weekend program coming up is going to be a, a climbing program. It's a two-day climbing program, really cool stuff. We have climbing pro or kayaking programs in New York and also a climbing program, I believe, in New York. Are you climbing like the, the Trump East, building? To me. <laughs> I mean, the Trump building. We're not in the city, so we actually meet in the city and then head out a few hours and do some climbing out of the city. And, and um, I, we're also, we're like in Massachusetts, Connecticut. But to me, I grew up in Montana. I think our whole state's like twice as big as the Northeast, so right. it's all the same. Do you know what part? It's all, you know, New, it's all New York, right? Yeah, well, do, does anybody know, or Delisa, do you know where, where I'm just curious, because I live up in the Hudson Valley where where uh, there's, people do a lot of rock climbing up there. We're going to be up in the dunks, as from what I, um, I think that's, I don't know if that's the climbing or the kayaking, but I know we're going to be up there. The gunk. Climbing in the dunks. Um, it's a climbing thing. Isn't, yeah. isn't gunk in Staten Island? Yeah, Staten Island's gunk. And by the way, if you're going to kayak on the Hudson, it negates chemotherapy, so it's really good uh, for you. Yeah, well, it either creates or kills cancer. One of the two. I haven't decided <laughs> that river something. Exactly. No, that's that's very very cool. Uh, I'm sure that uh, building uh, programs in areas where you have both donors that want local impact and major cancer centers that bring credibility and patience and mass are really good things. Yeah, absolutely. Seems to be. Very cool. Um, so, I mean, so obviously the website is firstdescents.org, but you're sold out and already have a waiting list for all 50 programs for the rest of the year. Yes and no. So we do have a waiting list. Our programs are full, but, for example, we have four spots open up today. So that waiting list, and it's not even first come, first serve. We just find out which program generally, what time of the year you want to do, which adventure, maybe location, and then as soon as a spot opens up, you'll get an email, boom, you're in. So that waiting, and, and we're going to start adding all of our 2013 programming here in the next couple of months. Um, if, if, you know, if Lisa does her job really well, which she has been, there's a really good chance we'll be adding a few more programs actually this year. Um, so, you know, the best thing to do is get on, you know, get in touch with us. If you go to our website and you click on our programs tab, there are like four or five fields of information. 
once you hit submit, we get that inquiry you'll receive in the next few days. After submitting it, you'll get a call from one of our coordinators who will walk you through the whole application process, get you set up where you want to be. You know, it all begins right there. And so the longer you wait, the more of a chance you have of not coming anytime soon. So I, I really encourage people to get in there and apply. So, and this is interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. It looks like looking at your staff here, are you guys kind of a virtual office that people kind of can work anywhere in the 50 states? Um, because, Lisa, aren't you, are you Maryland-based? I am in Maryland. There's only two of us who work remotely. Everyone else is in the Denver office. Okay, they are. Well, just Whitney, when, when one guy works on a sailboat. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. We one guy does work on a sailboat. Out. I aspire to um, that. <laughs> yeah, we all do. That's why we hired him, I think, is because we want to learn how to do it ourselves. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we do have people working remotely. Uh, we do have a, our headquarters, or the WHQ is here in Denver, um, and it seems like a really good central location for everything we do, not to mention it's a pretty outdoor-minded city. Right. Um, but we also have a lot of our staff that do work remotely. We have a lot of our staff, for example, two of them are at our programs right now. Um, we just purchased the mobile office, FD Mobile, which is a sports mobile, that, this adventure mobile that travels around the country, and our staff takes it on two-week-long adventures and visits medical centers, does Team FD events, stops by programs. That's out in California right now being driven by one of our marketing coordinators. So it's, you know, we we do have an office, but we, we, we believe, Alan said, and this one was, was when he was around, that the world was flat, you know, and we believe that. And I think, geez, you know, Matthew Zachary is like the king of tech. So right. he, he could he could probably tell us all how to live on a sailboat and work. And how many, so how many full uh, paid employees do you guys have at this point? Uh, Twelve full-time paid employees. And then we have about 25 contract employees that uh, run our program seasonally. Wow. And those are like the true dirtbags. They're the heroes. Those guys have it figured out. So when you do FD Killington, count me in, okay? Done and done, dude. We'll do it just for you. You know, programs are free for everyone except you. You have to raise 800000 to go to one, it turns 800000 Okay. I, I will <laughs> I will promise that and then immediately get fired from my Sell job. Sell the kids. Yeah. <laughs> And then you have to, and just leave your cell phone at home. Then we'll really know if you want oh, to boy. be there. Whoa, no, I don't whoa, think I. Well, one thing at a time. Yeah, so thank you, Brad, for coming to my rescue. <laughs> well, Lisa can start her. Lisa, are you going to start your extreme knitting FD? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to do that. That's Circling not a challenge. The winner, Lisa Bernard. <laughs> Wonderful. Very cool. No, people don't know this, but I I skied. I downhill skied from the age of three to twenty-two. You've told us, and it was all we downhill. Know that. It was all downhill. But they don't from there. Shut up. It, but I'm just. But they don't. But uh, sorry, Daryl and stepmom don't know this. So I downhill skied for twenty years. Why'd you on, stop? Because I got cancer. That's his, why I stopped. His dad stopped pushing him down there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, strong, strong boy, go. Gravity just wasn't doing Wait, you just right. said you stopped because you had cancer. We're talking about FD, where everybody keeps going and being physical <laughs> yeah. because there they have cancer. There was no FD in 1996. You've just, you've just contradicted everything that this show is see, and no, these people are about. I gave birth to FD by proxy, by accident, by getting cancer before they were started. Matt stopped skiing because of Twinkies. <laughs> yes. No, I... <laughs> the tweaks didn't start till later. All right. Well, this has been a great show. It's always a pleasure to have First Ascents on the show and hear about what's going on. And, uh, boy, you guys are really rocking and rolling. It's great, great stuff. Amazing can, stuff. Congratulations on all your success. Thank, Thank you, guys. That's so all you do to help make it possible. We We're going to have really a special empty drinking lounge in Vegas next year just for you guys. There we go. And, and then go and kayaking after. <laughs> no, wait. We're going to hike the stratosphere. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> that, 
That qualifies. I'm in. Ethan Hunt style from uh, Mission Impossible. Exactly. Awesome. All right, everybody. All right. Well, thank you. Allie, any final comments? You, you are the embodiment of FDs. You know, you, you came back from the dead literally, figuratively, emotionally, and you, you are like a, a leader now in the Young Adult Movement. Any final comments, Allie? I just want to say I cannot wait to go to camp again. I go in like three months. Um, and I was honored to do my Team FD. I'm going back to Montana. Nice. Uh, and I did a Team FD challenge. I walked to 5K because of uh, FD, too. So wow. um, it's done great things in my life. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thank you guys so much. We love having you on the show, um, and uh, we'll definitely see you soon. Good luck in New York. You got it. Thank, thank you, guys. All right. Thank Brad you. Brad Ludden, Lisa Goodman, Goldstein, and Allie Ward. Allie Ward, the First Ascent crew. I tell you, it really has been amazing watching their organization um, grow in the last six years. Um, I knew Alan Goldberg. He was a great guy, really great, inspiring guy. And honestly, he was one of the first organizational founders and leaders that I ever met who died. Yeah. And it was really it was emotional for me because I was an organizational founder and you know I could die. You know, just meeting all these young adult survivors who started these these amazing organizations. Um, you know, it's a small little niche group, and when you lose somebody, you know, it's. it's reading about him, it looked like he was forty years old when he died. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Really amazing. I mean, yep. triathlete just. He, but he. He just puts people to shame. He, you know, he makes you stand a gog. A gog and a blob and, yep. and everything else in between. All right. Well, All right. with that, let's uh, wrap our show. And here we go. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, number 226. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Special thanks, Kenny Kane, Matt Beckett, and welcome, Brooke Lorenz, to this crazy culture we live in. Special guest, Ellie Ward, Lisa Goldstein, Brad Ludden from First Descent. What a great show. All right, everybody, join us next week. Not June, next week. Uh, two weeks, I'm so sorry. Two weeks, June 4th. Our topic, fatigue and rehab. And joining us will be Angela Wicker-Ramos. She is a physical therapist at the Sullivan Physical Therapy Oncology and Pelvic Floor. This is wrong what I just said. Yeah. She's a physical therapist at Sullivan Physical Therapy, and she's a certified lymphedema therapist. And joining us, Jane Fader Siegel. She's a young adult survivor, Hodgkin's disease. All right, it's going to be a great show. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt and myself and our whole team here at Stupid Cancer, have a great week. We'll see you back in two weeks. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're all veterans of a battle and the bulk of us more. In this world, too many soldiers are serving multiple tours. So...